Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 144. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to discuss a sequel that our friend Kelly from Karma and Kismet promised was a million times better than the original 2010's Camp Rock 2. Okay, all right, all right. So here we are, Camp Rock 2. It's two years later in real time. It's the following summer uh, in this particular universe. Um, I, I remember this coming out because I remember the first one being so big, but what was sort of a surprise about this one is it's the exact same cast. Okay, you anticipate that. Um, but at this point now, Demi Lovato has exploded. The Jonas Brothers are even bigger than they were than they were at the time when the first movie came out. So you'd almost think that a la High School Musical 3, this may have perhaps gotten a theatrical release, yet no, it's still a decom. So it's sort of a surprise that with that star power, this is still going to the Disney Channel. That's a really great point. I didn't even consider that because I feel like the hype around this one was that at that point in real life, Demi Lovato and Joe Jonas had started dating. So that's what I remember being the big splash about Camp Rock 2 is that, oh my God, they're really together. Now my question is, is Kelly accurate? Is this a lot better than the first Camp Rock film? That is what we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. Upon returning to Camp Rock for a summer of fun, Mitchie and her mom find that a rival camp star has recently opened on the other side of the lake. Meanwhile, Shane and the rest of Connect 3 are en route to the camp to surprise Mitchie and spend their entire summer there. It turns out that Axel Turner, whom Uncle Brown had kicked out of his band, is the founder of Camp Star, and he invites Camp Rock to a bonfire. Camp Star is an over-the-top camp in terms of its amenities, so much uh, so much so that it steals most of Camp Rock's staff, as well as camper Tess Tyler. Due to lack of staffing, Brown is faced with closing Camp Rock, but Mitchie, Caitlin, and Connect 3, as well as the rest of the veteran campers, step up as counselors for the summer to save the camp. Mitchie also gets roped into a nationally televised competition, Camp Wars, by Axel, which infuriates Brown because he believes that they are going to be embarrassed and no one would ever want to go to Camp Rock again. While Camp Rock is busy preparing for the showdown, Connect 3 member Nate pursues Dana, a pianist at Camp Star who is also Axel's daughter. Shane becomes upset with Mitchie, who becomes obsessed with Camp War's preparation as all he wanted was to spend time with her that summer. Eventually, everyone makes up and it leads them to Camp Wars. Camp Star performs first while viewers at home call in to throw them their vote because that's how it's doing it's like a la american idol camp rock performs but finds out after that axel paid to have every cell phone in the country texted asking for votes for camp star camp star eventually does win the competition 
And Camp Rock is dejected. But back at Camp Rock, the phones are blowing up with people looking to attend the following summer. Tess, Dana, and a number of campers from Camp Star canoe over to Camp Rock. Uh, They come to their side of the lake, and most of them say that they'd rather attend Camp Rock the following summer as it is more fun and less stressful than Camp Star. Something I want to address right off the rip. Yeah. We came into this movie knowing absolutely nothing about it, other than that they're going to return to summer camp. Yeah. So when we saw the description on Disney Plus and read the little blurb about what the film was going to be about, I thought to myself, oh, God, Sean is going to spend another hour (laughs) screaming that this is a Blues Brothers ripoff, which is what we tore Country Bears apart for. Right. This was not that. So... Props to putting your own spin on it. I just wanted to get that out of way, out of the way at the top. Well, I mean, it's a camp movie. It's every camp movie you've ever seen. It's heavyweight. Well, heavyweights is a little bit different because that camp gets bought out by Perkis. Um, but I mean, it's 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 meatballs, right? I mean, with the competitions, um, you do get the competition factor in meatballs, but it's it's really more on a comedic side than it is anything else. You know, that camp. It gets overtaken, but it's still that camp. You know, it's it's not going to all of a sudden disappear because they lose some competition or have all of their campers or staff stolen for over-the-top amenities like air-conditioned bunks like they have over at Camp Star. So, yeah, I was a little... Uh, I was cautiously optimistic at best. At best, I was cautiously optimistic. Mostly, too, because, quite honestly, with most DCOMs that we've watched the sequels have gotten progressively worse. Um, they're never as good as the originals are. Uh, Teen, I, Beach, Teen Beach 2, uh, it doesn't exist. It's Toy Story 4. See, but I will defend Teen Beach 2 because other than the last five minutes of the film, which completely undoes the first one, it's a good movie on its own. It can live on its own if not for that one little thing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is as bad as High School Musical 2. No, see, I think that Camp... Or I think... I'm going to keep calling it Camp Rock. I think Teen Beach 2 is far worse than High School Musical 2. Because High School Musical 2 is unwatchably bad, but it doesn't take a perfect film and completely undo it. That was my defense of it then, and my stance on that really hasn't changed. High School Musical 3 is better than 2, but that's not saying a lot. The Halloween Town movies have gotten worse and worse and worse after the first one, and everybody knows what a fan I am of Halloween Town. So the second, and, and specifically the third, especially when they changed the casting of Marnie, it really just doesn't do it for me. So for all of those reasons... And I sound like Mark Cuban right now. For all of those reasons, I'm cautiously optimistic on my best day when it comes to Camp Rock 2, specifically with that description. Well, in that regard, I think that they did a good job of picking up where the first one left off. I mean, it's a given. It's a summer camp. But with something like High School Musical, could you have gone from their sophomore year to their junior year? Yes, you made a, a a choice. That was a choice to do summer at Sharpay's Country Club. Club yeah. Ugh. So I think that they did a pretty good job of picking it right back up. The only thing that I wish that they had done off the top a little bit more was better define the relationship with Shane. I mean, I 
get it. Him and Mitchie have ob- obviously stayed in touch. Yeah. But it it seems like she's crushing on a rock star and that they haven't been able to make it work. I mean, they haven't been able to make it work, but it almost seems like they have the boyfriend girlfriend title, but they're still defining their relationship. And I get it. You're not in the same place, but there, there should be a clear line of either like, okay, he gave me the girlfriend title, but we're struggling finding the time to see each other. Or we've been talking, I want the title, but I don't have it yet. And I'm nervous because he's got girls screaming at him all the time. There, there is none of that. It's just, I can't wait to see him. Right, because her mom goes so far as to even say, you haven't seen this boy in a year. I know you guys talk on the phone, but you haven't seen him. Of course, you know, he's going to be busy in the studio and touring and whatever. But you're right. It's not until somebody points out later on, oh, you're Shane Gray's girlfriend, that we are not really privy to what the relationship is. Like you said, it's sort of awkward because is there a title? Isn't there a title? Or is it still like a a weird friend zone thing where they crush on each other? He's still kind of pursuing her and we don't really know what's going on. It is not clearly defined. Which is fine with regard to it just being like an innocent relationship and like, you know, your first love, it's puppy love. I'll I'll buy into all of that. But the way that they build this relationship throughout the rest of the film, you need a foundation, especially when you're going to have a big fight song breakup moment and then you're going to land back together. We kind of needed to be a bit more invested at the top. Um, My other issue, because they packed a lot into this car ride. Camp Star comes out of nowhere. You're telling me. And this was something that we hit on last week, that Camp Rock was the place that everybody had to go. Everybody knew about it. And I had said that is that we need to know if this is like the Juilliard of summer camps or if it's just a popular regional summer camp. If Camp Star has all of this money, you're telling me it wasn't advertised and nobody knows about it? Yeah, that's that leads. that. that it's Yeah, there's a lot of questions there because... We still don't really know, right? We don't know. Although I think I think this movie sort of answers the question. We didn't know whether it was national or regional. Like, is this Camp Anawana, where only people who live by it really know about it? Or is this Space Camp, right? Like that it's on like every television show That's when you a were a ni- when you were a child of the nineties and they always gave it away on Double Dare, you go to Space Camp. Is that what Camp Rock is? I think because of how this movie ends, where they get all of this enrollment because of the national broadcast, that leads me to believe that this probably was regional because it seems like most people did not even know that they existed. So that sort of answers the question, but that's kind of me putting two and two together. But you're right. Camp Star, to me, because of the amenities and because Axel has it out for Brown because Brown threw him out of the band, you would think he would be advertising it like a space camp and it would be everywhere. So if that's the case, all of these campers, Mitchie and her mom included, should have been aware that this existed. Right. And instead, they literally drive past the sign and it's like, oh, 
I wonder what that is. And you know it's supposed to be such a big conflict. It, it's just weird placement. To I, I get you had to plant it that early, but for something that's such a major plot point, it was just too offhand on the way there. Yeah. Um, we're, I want to put a pin in that for a second because I want to talk about that more once we do actually get to Camp Star. Mm-hmm. Poor Kevin Jonas. I mean, they, they continue in this movie, at least in the beginning, that he, he continues to be kind of this dimwit character that he was in the first film. Poor Kevin Jonas. Words I never thought that I would hear you say. Uh, I do agree, though. Although I think they at least tried to flesh him out a little bit more. They didn't make him any smarter, but they gave him more heart and more of a purpose. And I actually like, you know, we'll get to it when we get to that point in the film, but I like what they did with him and the junior rockers. I th- it made him endearing. Yes, Not that's smart, the perfect word. But if anything, he's definitely endearing. And Kevin Jonas, you know, as a person, I, I got to give it to him. He's a good sport for playing along with this. For sure. Now we get to the scene where the bus has a flat tire. Their tour bus has a flat tire. I damn near fell off my chair. If this would have been why they didn't show up for our meet and greet on time at the radio station like 15 years ago, like this would have at least answered that question. I just felt like art imitating life, imitating art. Well... They're imitating mechanics here because they're trying to change this tremendous bus tire because they have to get to Camp Rock because Mitchie doesn't know that they're coming and because Kevin Jonas removed one lug nut, one, the bus goes off a cliff. Okay, can we talk about what happens with this driver? Because we see the... (laughs) No! <laughs> it just runs away. But I have some major issues with this because he runs down the hill. Technically, that bus should have crushed him. You'd think. It was, but. Unless the, he's supposed to be running like in the street down the I hill, but their know. angles and their sight lines are so far off. It looks to me as though he is running down the cliff and the bus goes right after him. I, I just can't get past the look and the scream on his face. It's hysterical. They went for it. They Trashing this tour bus, they went for it. They sent a tour bus off a cliff. No CGI, no fake in it. An actual Jonas Brothers rap tour bus over the cliff. Kudos. I mean, you blew your entire budget doing that, but it paid off. Especially when that one window claps back (laughs) down. Oh my God. You don't rehearse that. That was hysterical. It was really, really funny. That had to be a one-take wonder. You're not doing that you again. Can't do that it bus, twice. That bus is gone. Gone. But that happens. It's hysterical. It's far-fetched. It makes no sense. But it's funny nonetheless. So now we get the Jonas Brothers, Connect Three. They show up at the camp with chickens because they hitched a ride with a farmer. And Mitchie is all excited to see them. And now we get the marshmallows that are like launched in the air, coming down on Camp Rock, and Kevin Jonas screams, we're under fire, or we're being attacked. Whatever it was was very funny. And this is now the invitation to go to the bonfire over at Camp Star. And it makes sense that Brown doesn't want to be there, because we now know what 
exactly the issue here is. Axel Turner is the perfect name for a band member 20 years past his prime who would have been thrown out of a band. I would watch, if they do a third one, I hope it's his own spinoff. He looks like Neil Sean from Journey, which is a little, I'm not going to call it off-putting because I'm a Journey fan, but it kind of makes Neil Sean off-putting. You just have to get out of your mind that you're not watching Neil Sean. Most of you have no idea what he looks like, but this was a problem for me. Most of our listeners are not going to know Journey other than Don't, don't Stop, stop believing. believing. Okay. Um, now, here's the thing. I buy that this guy, Axel Turner, would have it out for Brown. I buy that he would love to kamikaze Brown's career, which at this point has nothing to do with the band that they were in, which apparently was called the Wet Crows, not the White Crows. I thought it was the White Crows, but then we saw a Wet Crows poster on a wall later on. I thought it was a play on Black Crows. That's what I thought. But, you know, because Brown, with his very thick British accent, he says it so quickly. Oh, the Wet Crows. It's like, uh, I thought it said White Crows, but whatever. Um, We're also predisposed to believing that because we know who the Black Crows are. Regardless, he gets thrown out of the band. I buy that this person wants to seek revenge. Arrival camp. This is kind of to pick up on where we left off. To me, it's like, meh, it's okay. I mean, I guess you you had to find something to make a sequel out of. And, and, and how better than to have Camp Rock threatened because you love Camp Rock, you're supposed to love Camp Rock, you're supposed to root for Camp Rock after seeing the first film. But there's just something about this, and I think because it is played out with these camp competitions, that just leads me down this path of been there, done that, find something original. I don't really know what that something original is, and I guess that's the problem. In which case I say don't make a sequel. But I feel like we have just seen this so many times. This immediately to me, and and this is not to spoil my final review of the film, but up to this point in time, to me, this is just another camp movie. I would agree with that. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's why you love the camp movies, right? Is because that there's there's a rivalry. So to be fair, they are just kind of leaning in to the genre. But they could have gotten out of it because now, you know, if you wanna if you wanna do these rivalry things because you wanna see camp games and you wanna see the capture the flag rivalry or whatever you're gonna do, okay, fine. But you gave that to Camp Rock this time around. That was one of my gripes about the first one was that these kids are supposed to be specializing in their area of interest and all of them take every single class. So now they've started to branch out and they have the junior rockers, they have the singers, they have the drummers, they have the dancers. So you can see where it's starting to get more compartmentalized. But they also gave them all these other activities where it feels like a summer camp. Like there's a cargo net and an obstacle course. And I was like, where did all of this come from? And the little ones, the young kids, where did all of them come from? Right. Because 
And that kind of really goes against the first film because it seemed like Mitchie had been waiting to be able to get into this camp. You know what? I just figured out, in my mind, I just figured out how I think you could have made a sequel to this film without having to do the camp competition thing. Because to me, the camp competition things, I mean, yeah, it's nice that you see your protagonists win at the end. Meatballs, heavyweights, like I said. I'm not going to keep referencing them because it's every camp movie that ever existed. Other than Sleepaway Camp. But with that said... um. With and, and and this was the case in 2010. It's it's not necessarily new now, but what was old is new again. The Wet Crows get offered a reunion tour, and now Brown has to decide: go on tour or stay with the camp. And if Ooh. he goes on tour, he's got to. If he goes on tour, he's got to close the camp. And now you get the veteran campers that don't want to see the camp go and connect three don't want to see the camp go because now they love it again, or at least Shane does. And that's how they rally around becoming counselors. And then to me, the best part about these camp movies are two things, the mischief and the practical jokes and the coming of age and the coming of age. And that's what this movie could have been. And that would have made it different. That would have separated it. And maybe we would have gotten our camp director from the first film would have served a purpose if it were her stepping into Brown's place and Brown constantly having to call in and make sure that the camp didn't burn down and he can go out of business and he doesn't need to get on the phone with the insurance company. That just came to me now. And I think that if they would have done something like that instead of doing another competition movie, this one probably would have stood out to me and, and would have been in a class of its own. That's a great idea. I didn't have a pitch story-wise, but I did have a pitch for what I thought would have been a better conflict between Shane and Mitchie. They're getting older, obviously. So you have to really start, you know, you've learned the basics. You're writing music. You're playing music. And you have to start developing who you are as an artist, which they sort of hit on in the first one, but... That's more Tess's character because she was looking at the big picture and not mastering the basics. She just wanted the look and the aesthetic and all the glory that yeah. comes with it. Well, her mother's a pop star. It's not like she's a, I'm, I'm not, you know what? I was about to say she's not a real musician. Oh. Yeah, maybe I'm going to back off of that one. <laughs> um, no, but you, you can tell that she's not interested in the reality of yeah, it. Yeah, and right. Just all of the smoke and mirrors. Right. So... Here we have Mitchie starting to figure out who she is and maybe her conflict with Shane is that he's trying to push her in one direction because he quote unquote knows what's going to sell and he thinks that he's helping her, but he ends up ruining her image. So I think your plot with my character arcs, that's a solid sequel. For sure. Let's write it. Disney, call us. Um... Why does nobody but Brown see that this campfire is a bad idea? It, it like nobody sees that the setup is there. Because the funny thing is, they all recognize that Camp Star is a threat. They all recognize that, but they don't see 
that there is uh there's a potential for ill intent here. It's not meant to be come and let's have fun this summer. It's just too flashy. So yeah, I, I don't get where people aren't seeing right through it. But the other thing is, I mean, you're away at summer camp. You you've been back for less than twenty four hours. Don't you want to catch up with the people that you are friends with? And instead it's like, oh, let's go see this other place. Let's go meet more new people. Well, the other thing, too, that I couldn't quite figure out was, you know, Camp Star is flashy, as you just said. They do appeal to the Tess Tylers of the world, which would imply that people would love to be around celebrity because they all know who Axel Turner is because he was not only in this band, but he's also a producer now. Why is not one person freaking out that this world-famous band, Connect 3, has now shown up at Camp Star? Right, because it doesn't seem like their popularity has faded in any way, and that's given by the tour bus that went over the cliff. Correct. I mean, I can see where the Camp Rockers are not phased by them so much right. anymore, right. and maybe the kids are too young to even really get it. So I'll buy all of that. But on the other hand, that is why I like Dana's character so much because she was not afraid to walk right up and just pursue the guy that she wanted. Yeah. And, and not even in a way, not like tested in the first one where she was after Shane because he's Shane. Right. So I actually thought that that was interesting, even though, their relationship has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Yeah, it it doesn't drive the story forward or really, as you said, affect it at all. But I, I thought that it made for let's it made for another Jonas Brothers song. It it made a Nick Jonas solo song out of it. Um we'll talk about the music later on here. I think that's kind of especially because now, as the three of them are getting older, like I think when the first movie came out, Joe Jonas he was the front man of the band. He had the long hair. I mean, they all did, but like he had the flowing locks. The girls really liked him. And now, as as the as the other two, Nick and Kevin, they're kind. Now they're at they're at that age that Joe was at. Now they're kind of becoming the new hot commodity with, you know, teenage girls. So of course you're going to try and give them more of a role because they're so secondary in the first movie. They have almost no purpose other than putting Shane or or, Kev, or uh, Joe in in Camp Rock to begin with. So I guess because their star power as a trio now is so huge, you did have to give them more of a purpose, especially if you're bringing them back in to shoot this movie. Because for Disney, if they're shooting this movie, it means they're not in the studio and they're not on tour making you money. So they had to give them an elevated role. So I'm... It doesn't do anything for the movie, but it doesn't hurt the movie either. Right. I mean, quite simply, it comes down to speaking lines and you had to give them more because let's not forget the first film, Joe got the part. That was something that we had learned about last week was that it was not a Jonas Brothers vehicle. He just happened to land the role and then they put his brothers in by default because you're really going to put one without the other two at that point when you can get all of them no you're right. not especially because to your point they can't tour without one of them while he's shooting so you may right. as well get all the star power into one film so now of course you're going to capitalize on not only the success of the first film but the success of this band of course you're going to put all of them in the movie and i mean 
they know the fan base, right? I mean, yeah. if you're a Joe Jonas fan or if you're a Jonas Brothers fan, you were going to watch for him anyway. But are you really not going to put the other two in and and not give everybody who is a fan of the Jonas Brothers something to latch on to? So, yes, as you said, they have to flesh out these characters more. With Jason, they gave him more lines. They tried to flesh him out. I'm not going to say they made a well-rounded, complete character. But in the case of Nate, I mean, there's a million ways they could have gone with it. This was not the most egregious thing that they could have done. It just, I, I just wish that he took more of a role in the story and not just kind of going off doing his own thing in pursuit of the girl. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, they did more for Jason in this movie than they did for Nate because at least with Jason, he was with the junior the junior rockers and they, at one point towards the end of the movie, do go and spy on Camp Star so that they sort of know what they're up against, whereas Nate's just chasing the girl. Um, so other than it's, it's conflict for conflict's sake, right? It's Dana who's Axel's daughter. So she's going against her father, who's the biggest rival to Camp Rock. But if it never happened, the movie's no different. You you at least... Something happens with Jason and the junior campers that has an effect on the movie later on. And he is actively trying to save the camp more so than Nate. Nate teaches the drum lessons, okay, fine, but they really could have used Dana for a bigger plot point because contrived as though it may be if her father caught them fraternizing he could have thought that she was feeding them information you could have gone down that road where she's sabotaging camp star and then it causes a whole bigger conflict with her father when the most he does is pull them apart before nate's big song and he pulls them apart and says, I don't want you seeing each other again. And then they see each other the next day. And he sees them and he goes, I don't want you seeing each other. And then they see each other the next day. And then he just gives the angry dad look. And then they see each other again the day after that. So the, it really serves no purpose whatsoever. Yeah, they, there was a lot more they could have done with that. All right. So we all knew Tess was going to go. And spoiler, Tess was going to regret it. And we knew you knew the minute that they had the flashy recording studio, the air-conditioned cabins, the big stage, the background dancers, all the nonsense that Camp Star had. This was the most predictable thing about this movie. Other than, I could have told you before I saw the movie, just based on the description, that they're going to save Camp Rock. Because, of course, they're going to save Camp Rock. Other than that, this was the most predictable thing that could have happened. Okay, but, and maybe I'm reading far too much into this. How do you get away with that? When you sign up for a summer camp, you're telling me that in the middle of the night, the kids can just leave to go to another camp and they're not telling the parents? Well, no, Tess got permission from her mother. Okay, they did cover that base. But for the rest of them, you don't know. Who have already paid to go to Camp Rock and I guarantee you it's cheaper than Camp Star? Yeah, they don't. Is really... Axel going to bang them for the balance? No, they they didn't really address that. Not very well. So now, Axel doubles the salary of the counselors. They're gone. That I believe. That I believe would happen. Here's what I don't believe, though. It's not that I don't believe that the veteran campers could not handle the responsibility of being counselors because they've been through this camp. They're talented enough on their own. I believe they could teach other kids 
the lessons that they learned at the camp. What I can't understand is how some of them, like Mitchie went once, but other campers had gone for years and years and years, and none of them knew what buildings to go into to teach their classes. They, they got lost in their own camp that they were just at five minutes ago. Yeah, that was not the best. Conflict for conflict's sake again. And, or not even conflict. For, for comedy, is that what you were going for? I mean, I get that they're trying to establish that Mitchie is in way over her head as far as the schedule, which I think, again, was a misstep because I know that they're trying to put her out in front as the lead however there's obviously a lot on her plate there are still actual adults at this camp like her mother who's cooking right and brown is still there yeah so i feel like one of them should be handling the schedule and she should just be executing and making sure every everyone is where they need to be because i will say that I think it was a good idea not to have her specialize in teaching a class because she was only there for one summer. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have somebody like Caitlin, who's a seasoned veteran and obviously a very polished dancer. Her, I buy teaching a class. Yes. Connect three, they are professional musicians. I buy them teaching classes. Um, now all of a sudden we have fashion choices. Yeah, I don't know where that came from either. Like uh, now again, it's it, this. I said. Like, Camp Rock at times sort of seems like Camp Entertainer, but now it's like costume design and stage crew and set. None of this happened in the first movie. Right. The wardrobe I will buy because, you know, I had said that before. If if you're trying to get to a point where, like, you've learned the basics and now you want to develop your look and develop who you are as an artist... I'll buy that you need to be styled. But yes, now Camp Rock is becoming like School of Rock where you can specialize in all these different areas and they're trying to prove to you that it's not just about being on the stage in front of the microphone, that there's a whole bunch of other avenues that you can take, which is an important lesson and that's what it should have been more of in the first one. And I'll tell you something, as I'm, again, as I'm kind of just thinking out loud, I would have bought this, and it would have been more than conflict for conflict's sake, and I think it would have added to the story. If now you're getting these artsy types, um, these uh, fashion design school types um, that are showing up, um, like an FIT sort of recruit, is now showing up at Camp Rock where they don't want to do water balloon fights and bonfires because they're obsessed with fashion because Brown had to add costume design because he knew what Camp Star was doing and he had to now, he's trying to add all of these other little things and he's sort of piecemealing it together last minute to try and offer the same things that Camp Star is offering and perhaps some of the buildings that they were used to being in are being repurposed because now it's a design studio. Now it's an extra bunk. And that's why now the campers are getting lost in their own camp. There is a way that it could have been handled rather than just, yeah, we have this now. Right. You know, we have this now. What I will say though, is for each counselor, I believe their specialty. Like I said, Caitlin dancing, obviously, um, Peggy, she's doing the composing. I buy that with her. So I think every counselor was well-matched 
as as much as this scene was trying to be funny when it's not. Mm-hmm. The funniest line in this scene is when Kevin Jonas, I keep calling him Kevin, uh, Jason, Jason in the film, he's with his junior rockers and he's trying to teach them how to be rock stars. And he asks who wants to be a drummer, who wants to play guitar, who wants to play bass, and he goes, who wants to be a lead singer? And the one kid raises his hand and he says... Well, the first thing you have to learn is to wear tighter pants and learn how to play a tambourine. That is hysterical. It's great. I think it's going to go over the heads of little kids, though. Didn't go over my head. I don't care if the movie wasn't meant for me. (laughs) I thought it was funny. So kudos to the screenwriting. And I thought that Kevin Jonas delivered that line very well. Piano over a lake. Can we talk about piano over the lake? Do we have to? Well... It's a piano over the lake. It's it's scaffolding over a lake that's got a piano on it that Dana just sits at because Camp Star. I mean, I haven't seen Lady Gaga pull that kind of nonsense with her piano. I haven't seen Billy Joel do it. Like, it just doesn't make any sort of sense. No, but I'm saying, well, maybe Elton John, if you're going for showmanship, maybe he has done something that crazy and we just don't know about it. But... I mean, I get that you have to give it a vantage point for Nate to be looking at, but this is where it's like this stupid love story that they're trying to force goes nowhere. Yeah. And he's like very creepily like watching her from a distance in a canoe with binoculars and she knows that he's doing it. It, It's a little creepy. I will say this, though. I mean, I thought you blew your budget on the bus. Apparently not, if you can afford the scaffolding to suspend a piano from. Well, by that point, they didn't have enough money to pay for realistic-looking CGI fireflies that we get in the (laughs) night scene. You know when, like, you get your picture taken by a photographer, like at your wedding, or maybe... It's uh, at Disney when you're standing in front of the castle and you just like you see spots for like five minutes because the flash is so bright. That's what these fireflies look like to me. They're pretty bad. Another thing that I think is just horrible and I don't want to I'm not like trying to shred this movie apart. So calm down. But when Camp Rock goes back to Camp Star. When they have their twisted sister, we're not going to take it moment. And like they walk back and they're like, Camp Rock, <laughs> Camp Rock. <laughs> it's like, wh- what are you, the Jets and the Sharks? <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's just, and like they're kind of like dancing and like, Camp Rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, the visual is so, like, I, I could not. If I'm trying to prove how tough I am, it is like watching West Side Story. You're not tough. This is not impressive. I don't know how they got away with it in a, a straight face. I, I just don't get it. You know, I think part of that comes from that these films started to come out around the same time as the Step Up franchise, which actually... Um, Allison Stoner, Caitlin, was in those films as well. So I think they wanted to give it like that dance battle element. But take it to the stage then. Why are you just dropping into their camp? 
I mean, I, I get you want to make a scene, you want to get their attention, but these these seizure-like movements that you're having with the clapping is going to do it. Well, and something else is happening here that we actually have not addressed yet. In the first Camp Rock movie, there are songs because they're at Camp Rock. It's not a musical. This movie is a musical. Bursting out into song, yeah. This, to me, is, okay, we have to do high school Camp Rock. It, it, it's got to be high school musical meets camp rock. So we're going to just do it like this. It's the same thing with Mitchie's song too. It, she bursts out of nowhere saying we won't back down, but even she starts with the really aggressive dance moves. Yeah. But it's only her. It starts off as her and then she wrangles everybody into the choreography. But the first time she does it, it's just so aggressive and so over the top. Yeah. it And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. The whole just, like, we're standing in the middle of camp. We all just break out into song. It's it's kind of what I did appreciate in the first movie was your musical numbers came from campers performing at Camp Rock. This, to me, I, I'm not quite... I mean, I understand why they did it, um, but I don't know if it really... It, it doesn't necessarily work for me. Right, like, if we leaned into the Camp Wars thing... What if you kind of gave them an internal battle where they're all auditioning for who's got the best song? Like the way that they did all of these jams in the first one and then they competed for final jam. What if you move your final jam up? Everybody's competing because that is the tradition of this camp. You do the final jam and then you get to record with Connect 3. What if the prize, instead of performing with Connect 3, is okay, you won, you're going to go battle to save the camp now. Although it's not really winning so much as it is sending them out to slaughter if they win. But I feel like the music would have at least happened much more naturally if that was the case. I also think that Mitchie in this moment may have exercised a little bit more restraint because she's very smart. Mitchie is a very smart character, and she's calculated. I do believe so. But she plays right into Axel's hand. When he watches this dance battle, he knows exactly what he's going to do. It's almost like he was waiting for this kind of thing to happen. He knew he could embarrass Camp Rock, and she played right into his hands. But why was it up to her to make the final decision? I mean, I get she's the lead. I get that we have to give her her moment, but everybody else wanted to do it, and then you have her hesitate for absolutely no reason other than that they can chant, come on, Mitchie, yeah, let's do it. Right. And then we're going to pivot because I think Mitchie... In this movie, I mean, she's a cute, charming kid in the first film. But she becomes so endearing because she she has the line when she becomes completely dislikable, which she does, that she's trying to save something that she cares about. And she's talking about Camp Rock. To me, you did that when you stepped up to be a counselor and you wrangled all of your friends, plus the world-famous band Connect 3, to give up their summer to teach six-year-olds how to be rock stars, right? So, like, you've done that. You, you, like, mission accomplished. You did what you were supposed to do. Not to mention the rest of the counselors 
save for Connect 3, have paid for their camp experience that they're not getting now because they have to teach. Correct. But with all of that being said, she becomes so dislikable um, because she becomes basically what Camp Star already is. And I think that of the successes that this film does have, I think that this is one of the bigger ones. I think that you've seen it, you know, we just saw it in Mighty Ducks, right? Where Lauren Graham's character, the don't bothers, we're going to do this just so that we can have fun. We're here to have fun. But once you start winning and you get competitive, now you want to win. You just want to win. So we've seen it before, but it works here. I will agree with that in every regard except for her relationship with Shane. I love that line that he delivers back. Yes. She says, I'm trying to fight for something I care about. And he's saying, well, so am I. That's a that's pretty cold. That yeah, hurts. That one cuts deep. Definitely. Um, but here's the thing. This fight between them, I mean, I get it. He's here to spend time with her. He's giving his entire summer to the camp so that he can be around her. What I don't understand... well. Not that I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me that the rock star who is spread too thin and doesn't have time for a social life is getting mad at her for being in that same situation. Meanwhile, you're in the same place. There's only so many places you can go at this camp. It's not like she's off traveling somewhere and you have zero time for her. So that doesn't really make sense as far as like the cat and mouse between them. But the other thing is that their relationship is not established. You still have not called her girlfriend. Other people have speculated that she is your girlfriend. Right. I get that you're upset you've been wanting to take her out on a proper first date and she hasn't had the time and that's fine and you have a right to be a little put off by that. But this blow up of him attacking her character because she's being a control freak you don't really have a lot of say in the matter. Not to mention this is your uncle's camp that she's trying to save. What are you doing for him? Well, and this also begs the other question. And, and it's just questions you're never going to get answered. Connect 3, because they're so famous, like how do people not know that Camp Rock exists? How is it not basically like a waitlist only sort of camp? Because that's where they went. You know what I'm saying? Like... This should not really... The fact that Camp Star exists because they have the star power of Connect 3 behind them should have no effect on Camp Rock. They totally lost the setup from the first one of why you want to go to Camp Rock. Not right. just to learn, but it's because they did it and they had success. And there's also the prize at stake. Right. And, and it kind of seems like that whole thing is kind of lost here. I'm not going to say it's undone, um, but it it just seems like it's lost. So, okay, now we get Mitchie and and Shane, they have this conflict that lasts like an overnight, and then it kind of gets mended because, you know. Because Shane backed down. She didn't do anything to deserve that. Yeah, and I thought that that, she didn't learn anything. She didn't right? apologize. Although I just kind of attacked Shane for, for not doing enough for his uncle's camp and him being the, aggress the aggressor in this situation. But 
she was a lot worse to him. For sure. And he's the one who kind of had to make everything right. Remember, he's the one that gave up his summer touring so that he could spend time with her and roped the rest of the band into it. Right. So you have that. You've got the cat and mouse with Nate and Dana. They have a moment where he sings to her. We'll talk about the music, as I mentioned. We'll talk about it It really in just a few minutes here. Um, it's a nice moment. Um but I don't really think, other than that, other than that moment, other than having a, a moment where Nick Jonas gets a song that, you know, teenage girls can kind of swoon to, it's, it, like, the, I just wish that, you know what I wish would have happened? I wish Dana would have been a snake in the grass. I wish, I wish she would have been a Trojan horse. She would have been the one infiltrating and feeding information back to her dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish something like that would have happened. And it didn't, and I felt like there was just a little bit of a miss there. You wonder if that's what her purpose was and they cut it for time. Maybe. Because I can't imagine that this was all for the sake of giving Nate something to do and getting Nick Jonas more lines. Maybe. Although it's a decom. Maybe I am overthinking it. To me, the most egregious thing that they did was that they cut the junior rockers out of the final performance because they wanted it it to be strong. That goes against everything that you're trying to save. Yes. It goes against everything that Camp Rock stands for. So what's the point of trying to save it? It, the end of the movie crumbled because of that. Right. So now we get this camp. We got a summer camp showdown on live TV. As far-fetched and over-the-top as it is, I actually like that they brought the American Idol element into it. Because, I mean, dated, yes, because now everything is done. I mean, you can do these polls on Twitter now. But back in the day, you had to call to vote for your favorite Singer, dancer. Actually, I think So You Think You Can Dance actually still does the text or the phone call. But I actually, I like that they bought the zeitgeist in. I think that's cool. Yeah. There were times in the very beginning where you would try to call in for hours to place your American Idol vote because the phone, the number would be jammed and you wouldn't be able to get through. I voted for Kelly on the phone. So... I know that Axel spent all of this money because they put the show together. And of course, they have to do it at Camp Star, which I think, again, may have been a miss. I don't know how they could not have agreed to doing a neutral site because basically this entire thing is just a commercial for Camp Star, which is what Axel wants. I think the piano scaffolding should have been the neutral site. Barge on the water. Here's the thing, though. This begs the question I asked before. Camp Rock doesn't win. Fine. But Connect 3 is a world-famous band. How did they not carry enough weight? Their fan base alone should have saved them. Imagine, if you will, if this really happened, and let's say that... I gotta think... Okay, nothing against the Jonas Brothers. Well, no, you've but had issues with the Jonas Brothers. You've made them known. We've mended the fence. Um, <laughs> we're cool now. The Rolling Stones. Let's say 
we did our Battle of the Bands on national TV 10 years ago. Let's let's make this a little bit more relevant. How about NSYNC and Backstreet? No. Because you got to let me prove my point. Let's say 11 years ago when this movie came out. Okay. On ABC, because it's got to be a Disney-owned station. Okay. They do a Battle of the Bands. The Rolling Stones versus the Jonas Brothers. And you got to call in. The Rolling Stones beat the Jonas Brothers eight days a week. I disagree. And that's why you should have used NSYNC and Backstreet. No, because think of the demographic. The Rolling Stones fan, they're not going to bother. They're not going to waste their time proving this band that they followed for 50 years needs to win. They're not going to be calling in. The Jonas Brothers fan base, they would absolutely call in. And that's exactly my point. That's why I picked the Rolling Stones. That's exactly my point. Fair. Because that would have happened in this universe. That would have happened in this movie. Right. A, a, a preteen sitting at home would not care about Axel Turner. But they would care about Connect 3. And it doesn't matter that Axel Turner texted every cell phone in the United States because the 45-year-old so guy, not if you bought it from all the distribution lists, but a 45-year-old man is not going to sit there and call in the Connect 3. It's, you make it seem as if everybody in the country called for Connect 3. It never would have happened. In that universe, if they carried the same weight that the Jonas Brothers did in real life, it doesn't matter who you put them against. You could revive Elvis Presley and put him on that stage. You could revive George Harrison and John Lennon and put the Beatles back together with Elvis Presley as the opening act and Prince as the MC, and the Jonas Brothers (laughs) would still win because Jonas Brothers... And that's sort of my thing with Connect Three. It kind of, um, it's fine that they lost because it sets up how the film ends with winning isn't everything because this is the more fun place to be. This is this is where you should want to be, and I'm I'm fine with that being the message, but it defies logic that this band carries their world famous and carry literally no weight at the same time. No, that's that's an excellent point. The way that you set it up that way. But you're right. In this world, yes, Connect 3 should have been that big. Especially that they're not doing a summer tour. Wouldn't you want to be keeping tabs on what they are doing? Right. Um, I was kind of surprised that they went for it and had Camp Rock loose. I mean, especially to your point, like there, there's no way that that ever would have happened on sheer numbers. But I am surprised that they went for the false ending because you think they're just going to be announced as the winner on camp stars turf and that Axel's going to have to back down or they're going to mend the fence or where I really thought this was going is next year, we're just going to have one massive camp between the two and we're going to build a bridge so that you can go back and forth and we're all going to perform together and we're going to work together. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you went to Camp Rock or Camp Star. It's going to be under one umbrella this time around. I thought that that's how it was going to end. So I was kind of surprised that they went for it and actually showed them, you know, which is a good lesson for kids. They they showed them learning the hard way. Um, but it does set up I think a better ending rather than just giving them the win rather than giving them the we're all in this together mm-hmm. the takeaway is a lot more important that 
you know, it doesn't matter because we still had fun. We still learned something. We still work together for this big cause. And, and that's the real win. I'm surprised that Axel actually allowed Connect 3 to perform in Camp Wars because now, well, no. Okay. I'm going to circle back around. I'm surprised he allowed them to do it because all he wants to do is win. And technically speaking, they're no longer campers there. So they should not have been allowed to compete. But at the same time, he's an egomaniac enough where he would love to have Connect 3 on stage and then he would beat them anyway. So I guess in, it kind of does make sense. But I, I was waiting for, and this would have been, if we have to do this competition thing, added drama of they're doing a dress rehearsal or some such nonsense. And Axel says, well, wait a minute. Those three are not a part of Camp Rock. They're not campers. You don't see any of my staff performing. Only my kids. They can't perform. Well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do it without them, and we're going to show everybody how we how good we are. And then maybe if they beat Camp Star, that adds up to me. It certainly would have created more drama than just cutting the junior rockers. I think that would have been a much better story point. And it also would have created more conflict with Mitchie because this entire time, you know, especially because she wrote her song as a duet. Now, what am I going to do? I can't do my duet. Now, literally everything is on her shoulders. Bingo. And now you're going to show us what you're made of as an artist. Correct. Yeah. As an artist, as a songwriter, as a musician. Yeah. It would have just an made event coordinator for sure, but it would have just made everything. And then, I mean, she has carried the camp on her back this whole time, but for her to have that moment, because that's the thing, like, she had it in the first movie, but not really, because Final Jam was over and she couldn't really win it. Like this The end been, of Final Jam. This could have been Mitchie's moment, right? Yes. And it, it, you kind of miss on that. Um, all right, let's talk about the music here. Um, Brand New Day is the first song in the film. It's fun. It's, it's so decom. It's a very much a decon, uh, decom uh, song, but um, I think Demi Lovato did a good job here. I thought she was good in the song. Um, I, I have the note that I didn't think it worked when they broke out into a musical number, but I've basically already uh, spoken about that, and my opinion holds true. Like, there's just, there's something about this that, to me, it it's just so disconnected from the first movie that it doesn't feel like I'm watching a sequel it feels like I'm watching something that exists in a completely different space even though it's the same cast right because like I said they had sort of rushed getting her to camp they rushed the plot point of camp star and we get to this number and there's the montage in the beginning of them hanging the signs yeah. and prepping for the campers to arrive etc cetera, etc cetera. so you can definitely tell that they rush just for the sake of getting to this number. But what I do like is that it sort of reintroduces the camp. I think this would have been a better fit for the first film because now we're, we're seeing more of the camp than we ever have in the first one. They're going off on trails and down creeks and it's exposing more. And like I said, they've got the jungle gym or whatever. Now you're, you're showcasing a lot more. Um, so I think it would have been better established in the first one. But what I do like is by the time that they get to the stage, I love that even though Mitchie's out front, she's still got 
Tess and everybody singing back up along with Caitlin, but it's not in a not in an egotistical way. It's it's in a supportive way that they're backing her up. And it's right. kind of like, oh, the band's back together. Right. And it was kind of nice until Tess flipped. So Fire is the next song here. No, not the Jimi Hendrix song. This is the song that Camp Star performs. Um, I was kind of surprised that this wasn't radio, uh, that it wasn't a radio hit. It seems like the type of song that would have been. It seems like the type of song that uh, like this movie would have really hung the soundtrack on. Um, but Campers, GTFO. These people are like 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, and why such a big set? Like this camp star. Well, I mean, I get that, but they didn't even have that at Camp Rock for Final Jam. This is just so elaborate. So and because Camp Star, that's the answer to all of that. No, but it is a bad idea because now your your big song at the end it doesn't land because you've already done it. You do this every time. There's no wow factor True. anymore. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Hold back, be subtle, or in this case, can't back down. Oh, my God. So here's the thing with this song. Um, we talked about it before. Demi's, like, really aggressive with the shoulders. Um, <laughs> I actually think this is a fun number if it's in High School Musical. It doesn't fit here. I'm going to disagree, actually, because I like that we get, I mean, we didn't have a mess hall number in the first one. Oh, no. Um, at the beginning, the, the first night, I said the background actors were dead in that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that was kind of just everybody was showing off their skills. But that's, was, what, that's what I'm talking about. There was no number. It was just campers performing. Right. And it, it was, was that Paula Abdulish song yes, that I liked. About, it. you know, do you have what it takes to be yeah. my boyfriend or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it's the first night and it's an individual performance. So here, to your point, this is more of a musical and that they're bursting out into songs. You kind of needed that with the dancing on the tables because they did it in high school musical where they're in the cafeteria. And that cafeteria is like prime for what they did because of the way that those stairs yes. are in the high school. So I like that they tried to do that here. Um, what I don't like is that she's far too aggressive at the beginning I feel like if she would have just held back and then they all kind of fell in line with the choreography, sort of like Hamilton, where <laughs> Hamilton does the move first and then they all kind of fall mm -hmm. in. He doesn't come out swinging far right. too aggressive like she does. Um, this number, though, did confirm my suspicions about the first one. They hardly show Demi Lovato dancing in the same frame as Alison Stoner. That's not to say that Demi Lovato's a bad dancer. I was actually very impressed with her dancing. I thought because she was good. She does more of it. Um, and I had seen her, you know, we talked about it in the last episode. I have seen a full show of hers, but she doesn't have that much choreography. Like she played the piano and she, you know, was moving around, but it was more like a more like a rocker, like more like a Pat Benatar, actually, if I had to compare her to something. Okay. Uh that's then that's the most I'll ever compliment her <laughs> but no I was impressed with the dancing however Allison Stoner is just too good and they do not put them in the front together so I thought that was kind of interesting yeah it's a I mean because you can't an, it, you can't have her overshadow the lead you just can't it's an astute observation it's on okay this is the 
Camp Rock. Jets and Sharks. J- Jets and Sharks. It's on. I mean, look, it, it is just a, it's a fun song. It's a fun number. They're, they're going up and down on the amphitheater. They're going back and forth at each other. They, util, they utilize the entire set. And I think they actually, they utilize the set very well. I think they utilize this set as well as they do in Can't Back Down. It's fun, but again, I, because the first film does not have these breakout into musical numbers, every time they do it here, even when the song is good, I'm like, this just makes sense in Teen Beach. It makes sense in High School Musical. It just doesn't make sense here because I feel like I'm, I'm watching a sequel, but not of the movie that I'm watching a sequel to. Teen Beach is actually a great reference here because you've got the bikers versus the surfers, and that's the whole premise of the movie that dates back... To the 60s. Right. When this genre was very popular. So, yeah, there it's perfect. Here, I mean, if we're going to have to do it, I almost wish that they had maybe been rehearsing for something and then the camp rockers sort of hijacked their rehearsal or, like, started blending themselves in in some way. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get it. You're leading to the setup of the camp wars. Yeah. How else were you going to do it? I really... We have pitched quite a number of things that they could have done differently and, in our opinion, better. I got nothing for this. I'm tapped. Wouldn't change a thing. It's To me, it's a very nice duet. Um, but to me, it's sort of just a... It's just a kind of a filler song. I, I kind of felt like they needed to get another song in. This is where they chose to do it. It's not a bad song, but... I can I can take it or leave it. I actually love the song. Uh, I think both artists sound great. I love the number and how it takes place within the setting. I love that they're going off in different directions. I actually really, really like it on its own. To me, it feels unmotivated because, as I said, their relationship isn't established, so there's no reason for them to be arguing this much. And I think what they really tried to do here was force a Troy and Gabriella moment. Mm-hmm. But it falls so flat because your relationship isn't deep enough. Your, your feelings are way too big, and you guys are so crushed, and you shouldn't be because your relationship is not that deep yet. Right. When when she says, uh, when I hold on, he just lets go. That's something you sing about, you know, three to five years down the line when, when you've had like a real fight and you're trying to salvage the relationship because you think he's got a foot out the door. Not yeah. when you're his maybe girlfriend. Yeah. And for those who have been with Monoril for a while, we love to hate on Greece. But hopelessly devoted. There you go. That is a song that gets it right. That's a scene that gets it right. Um, Olivia Newton-John is so good in that scene. But I think that song works in that movie. And I kind of feel like that's what they were trying to do here. And it because the relationship is just so confused. It's... It's not we know that they we know that there's a budding romance there but we haven't seen it and that's why it's confusing and that's why it doesn't land. Right. And in the case of Danny and Sandy, oh my god, I can't believe we're actually using Greece for a positive reference this time. But it's true. Sandy was deceived. Shane hasn't done anything to make her feel this way. Right. 
Right. Maybe he hasn't had her back, except he has. That's the thing. He's He's just asking for a little bit of her time. That's all. And if you had time to wander off in the woods and sing this song, you could have gone on a picnic with him. Heart and soul. This is probably the best Jonas Brothers song in this series. I think they sound great together. Um, I love the David Lee Roth reference. I actually really like this style of music for the Jonas Brothers. Like, just a real, like, rock and roll song. And I and I kind of said that in the last film as well. I just wish that they, maybe, if they did more like this, perhaps kids would be more into rock because I just think the Jonas Brothers do so well with this genre. Yeah, I feel like if I had seen this 10 years ago, like when we were working at, I almost, <laughs> I almost said the name of the we'll station. We'll just call it the station. The station. Oh my goodness. Um, I forgot we're recording. I was just talking to you. Yeah. Um, I have that effect on people. <laughs> if we were still there, there and, and this was 10 years ago, I don't think I would have been able to take the Jonas Brothers. And it really, it does. Ha- it doesn't have anything to do with, well, it does a little bit because they they at the time that we were there, they were pigeonholed into one thing. So I couldn't have taken them seriously singing about all of these music legends. I probably would have rolled my eyes, especially when Nick comes in and he's in front of the Stars and Stripes. Yeah. A la Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Um, but now seeing what they've done in their career and granted they split as the Jonas Brothers for a while and now they're back together and they've all pursued different musical paths. But especially Nick. Nick has impressed me. Like, he continues to impress me to this day. Like, you know, with him being a judge on The Voice and he really does know music backwards, forwards, and inside out. So I actually agree with you that this is a great song for them. Um, And kudos to them for breaking out of the decom and proving that they have the chops to back it up. And the thing with them is they are very talented. And yes, the Disney contract is what got them going. But I also feel at the same time that it kind of served as a barrier, um, especially, you know, with the purity rings and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you believe, good on you. But they like the Mickey Mouse squeaky clean that Disney was really trying to do with them. And I understand why. And it worked for Disney. It It did. But it led music files like us to sit there and go, "Ugh, come on. It's the monkeys, right? It's the monkeys. They're, they're not a real band. That's it. They were made for television. It was very hard to take them seriously and respect them back in the day. And looking back on it now and sort of seeing the other side of what this industry is, like, I... I totally get it. They they wore their purity rings and a smile on their face and just went with it. And you feel bad for them now. Well, I said, if I was in the position now that I was in then, in reference to my story last week, I would have handled how I how I spoke to the Jonas Brothers very differently. But I make no, I can't change it. I have no regrets. But if it happened today, I would not I would not have done what I did. If you ever see them in a hallway again, you need to apologize to them. I would gladly. I would gladly. Um they probably don't even remember it. So I'm it's really I'm just incriminating myself at that point. <laughs> You're my favorite song. This to me 
is the hopelessly devoted. This this is the moment. This is this is the high school musical moment. It's a it's such it's a really really nice duet. To me, I like this more than wouldn't change a thing. To me, this is what Nate should have sang to Dana instead of that Jason Mraz ripoff garbage. And I don't even like Jason Mraz. But I feel like if they would have come together as a duet, it would have been very strong. Because the whole thing is that she's been trying to get him to speak and open up about the way he feels. And she's put herself out there time and time again. He could have met her halfway this time with a duet. So, counterpoint. (laughs) Oh, no. While it is such... A I'm yours ripoff. Oh, no, don't do this. I really like it. Don't do this. I like it. I think it's actually a great scene. I like the two of them together. I really like Nick Jonas here. Um, I like the fact that the lyrics are a little bit silly. I like the fact that he's opening up. I buy this. Like, I I buy that this rock star wrote this song for this girl and this is his peace offering because he is so awkward when it comes to women in the movie that I see that this is the best that he could do because Jason was the one that that said, if you can't tell her, sing it to her. And this was how he did it. I believe this is how he would do it. And I, I, I really like, I like the song and I like the scene a lot. It is very fitting. Yes, if you can't say it, then put it into a song. I think probably my bigger issues with the song are that I don't like Jason Mraz because you're right. It's an endearing moment for the character. Kudos to Nick Jonas because you do really feel that vulnerability. I think he pulls it off as far as just putting everything out there and putting his heart on his sleeve at this point. Um, And I like that he even changes the chorus at points you know, at time, uh, hopefully amusing when he yeah. changes it at the end. I thought yeah. that was really cute. And what I also like is that they're calling two minutes to the rehearsal and he jams it in and it really is two minutes of screen time. Yeah. So I like that it plays out in real time. I, keeps I having, will give you that. He yeah. keeps having to speed it up. Tear It Down is the song that Camp Star performs at Camp Wars with their 40-year-old campers. Um, <laughs> Speaking of Greece. I, I just I can't get over how old they look. That's the thing. It, it's not that these numbers from Camp Star are bad. I, I don't. They're not 15 years old. They're. Not, I mean, you barely buy Demi Lovato as being a high school kid because she looks like mm, you're either like a young 21 or like an old 17. But I buy that you're somewhere in between. So yeah, you're high school. N- none of these people belong in high school. Jeff Conway didn't look like he was in high school in Greece. Neither did Travolta. And none of them seem like they belong in a camp for children. No, and even Tess. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, you see everybody's had a growth spurt, especially the girls. I mean, they mature faster with the hair and the makeup. They just look older. So Tess sort of gets a pass, but... The the number honestly, I, I couldn't tell you the difference between this and the first one because like I said, they create a splash every single time, so they're not holding anything back. Mm-hmm. And and to me, they they really didn't deserve to win 
on that point because you're just doing the same thing over and over with your pyrotechnics. Right. What we came here for is the exact thing that you expect from Camp Rock when they step on that stage, and I absolutely love it. I love the fact that Mitchie had the kid with the video camera who had like documented everything in camp, and they used that as the video to really show how much fun they were having at Camp Rock, and they play with the idea of this is what we came here for. Obviously, it works because that's why everybody called in. It was a little strange that they were so surprised with the good press, but um, it it works. I buy it. I really like this scene, and I really like this song. I thought that was really clever that they incorporated the video and it was a nod to the junior rockers and getting them in there. And then you get to see a little bit of your prank wars like you were talking about. Um, The song, it's good, but it's kind of no wonder they didn't win with it. I hate to say it because if this is supposed to be a culmination of everything you've done all summer, if this is your final jam, you know, like what, what happened to your drums? What happened to your flashy costumes? They didn't take what the counselors have been working so hard for and meld it all together. Well, because I think that they're not about flashy costumes. And I think that's sort of the point. Like, or, well, this was a, it was a fair costumes. Yeah. I mean, it was a fair representation of what camp rock is. See, I don't think so. I don't think it incorporated everybody. I don't think that they gave Caitlin I'll, a big yeah, enough I'll, dance I'll number. They they still made it the focus between Shane and Mitchie. And I get it. They're your leads. You have to... Like, real life, they have to give Joe and Demi the big number. I get that. But as far as the film, it takes you out of it because it should have been about everybody because that's what you're trying to prove. This is the thesis of the film. Everybody working together to save Camp Rock. This is our song is the last uh, song in the movie and it might as well be called Yes, You're Watching This Film. (laughs) Um, It's unnecessary and it's Yes, You're Watching This Film. They're basically telling us... I mean... Does it leave much to the imagination? This is our song. You know, it's, it's, I, it, it drives me crazy. It's like, it's like breaking the fourth wall. It kind of drives me nuts when movies do this. Like, if, if you do it ironically or comedically, it can be great. But this, of all of the songs, the, the, the one word you haven't heard me use in describing any of these songs is cheesy. This one's cheesy. I disagree. Oh, wow. And it, yeah, I'm surprised where we're disagreeing we are, on like, these things. We're disagreeing on the music. I'm shocked. No, and this is usually where we're on the same page more than anything else. Um, see, I don't mind it at all, as cheesy as it is, but probably because one of my favorite moments in the Mighty Ducks is when they sing We Are the Champions. And don't get me wrong, this is no We Are the Champions. But it's just nice to see that team bonding moment where they all come together and they can kick up their heels and there's no more stress and they won. They get to celebrate their win. <laughs> Sitting around the fireplace at the end of D2. That's that's what that was, that we are the champions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just I'm pointing out to those who are not familiar that it's not at the end of the first Mighty Ducks movie. It's at the end of the second Mighty Ducks movie. Did I movie. say the first one? Sorry. You just said Mighty Ducks. I, well, it was honestly, a blanket statement. Because we haven't, we haven't reviewed that one yet. D2 is my favorite. I actually love D2 more than the first one. Uh, so to me, Mighty Ducks is... 
There is no Mighty Ducks before Kenan Thompson. I'll put it to you that way. It's knuckle puck time. But um, anyway, I appreciate that moment, regardless of the nostalgia factor with D2. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they gave them that moment because they didn't win. So you needed something to show that they still learned a lesson and that there is still a takeaway for them. Sure. Fair enough. Um, okay. Final review. You want to go first? Or you want me to go? I'll go first. Okay. Um, I hate to say this because I love Kelly. I don't think that this was better than the first one. There are still a lot of story problems, and I am trying to be objective about that because we pitched a million different things that they could have done. But focusing solely on what they did do and and not what could have been, there were still some missteps. Um, And I don't like that it wasn't consistent with the first one, just as far as the structure of the camp itself. Um, I feel like the camp wars, if we're going to go for the been there, done that, I feel like that could have been much better, that there was a lot more they could have done with it. Um, and I just feel like the film is a little bit disconnected. And I feel like that's not just the fault of Camp Rock 2. I feel like that happens with a lot of these DCOMs. I feel like the producers work on segments from commercial break to commercial break. And there's not some supervising producer that's making sure there's a thread that ties it all together. I feel like this film is a lot more cohesive than the first one in that regard, but there's still a a disconnect with instances like Nate's whole thing with Dana or, or Jason's role with the junior campers. There are a lot of things that just feel forced. With all of that being said, though, does it have rewatchability? Yeah, I'm not going to go ahead and rewatch it. So, I I mean, I'm not saying it's that bad where I would never, ever watch it again. It's not going to be the first thing I do when I turn on the TV. Um, But I don't think that this is the worst sequel that we've ever seen. Uh, It's certainly better than High School Musical 2. I will take this over every single Halloween Town sequel. Um, Teen Beach 2, I think, is still better. But with all that being said, I mean, that's that's ranking high on the list. So, okay. Um, here's my thing with this. A lot of... I'm not going to say a lot. There were some things that happened in the first film that seemed a bit unmotivated at times. Nothing here seems unmotivated. There are there are things that happen in this that don't make any sense, like a camp springing up overnight. Nobody knows about it. The fact that the rock stars are walking around, nobody cares. The fact that the rock stars are performing with Camp Rock can't win. No one cares. There are que- There's a lot of things you can question here. It's not original. Again, throw a dart at a camp competition movie or any camp movie and there's the competition element. But I do think that the movie's motivated. There's not anything that happens here 
that is totally unmotivated. Yeah, the whole like Dana and Nate thing has zero effect on the movie, but it's not unmotivated. I I kind of understand why it's there. It's just another thing. But it, but it's at least a thing, right? And you have Connect Three. The other two brothers are kind of working to sort of explain to Nate how he can come out of his shell a little bit because you're trying to flesh him out. And he, he, he doesn't like to express his feelings and you're trying to flesh out this character. So, like, it didn't need it, but it's it's not to the detriment of the film. I will agree with Kelly where I think the music here is better than it was in the first one. Um, I think all of, this, all of the songs fit. I don't like that they did these musical numbers... Um, I, I don't like that it that they tried to make it into a teen beach or a high school musical with breaking out into the dance numbers, but I do think the I do think the songs by and large are better. I would agree with that, yeah. Um and I actually think it's the best decom sequel we've ever seen. Um now you could sit there and say there's not a lot of tough competition and you wouldn't be wrong about that. Um to me, it's the best one we've seen. Um with High School Musical 3 right behind it. Um, but I, I don't I don't want to say it's better than the first movie. To me, they're almost on an even plane. To me, they're fine. Um, I sort of like the maturity level of this a little bit more, but it's because I'm seeing them for the first time as a 35-year-old. Um, I just feel like... They're they're just almost too even. It's like a one A and one B. Yeah, no, I, it's not worse than a f- than the first, but it's not better than the first. They're both kind of just there, so there is a consistency there to the to the credit of this of this series. There's a consistency here that every other decom lacks when they do make them into a full series. Now we haven't done Descendants yet. Everybody talks about how great it is. We haven't done Zombies yet. These are all coming up soon. So I may sit here six months or a year from now, and this falls very low on the list because I haven't. I I don't have the comparisons of those other films which people swear by, but people also swear by this. So to me, so far of what we've reviewed and discussed, this is the most consistent series of all of them. It's more consistent than High School Musical, Halloween Town, and Teen Beach, for sure. You're articulating that much better than I did. It's not that this is a worse sequel. It's just not better than its predecessor. Well, it doesn't always have to be. You know, I mean, most sequels are not as good. They're not even as good as the first one. So I'm not looking for it to necessarily be better. I'm just going off of Kelly saying that she thought that I would like this more. It's it's not that I didn't like it more. I just don't think it was like leaps and bounds better than the first one. So you but just like it about the same. Exactly. Like I would watch them again. I'm I'm not going to rush to do it, but I would probably watch them again for reasons other than than the show. Sure. We want to know what you have to say about Teen or about I almost said Teen Beach. Uh about Camp And I will always watch about, it. About yeah, I'll, we should watch it tonight. Um I want to know what you have to say about Camp Rock, too. Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. Email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, 
Get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Whether you are looking for branding, print, or graphic design, media kits, perhaps you are looking for that touch of Disney in your life, or perhaps you are a Disney content creator and you're looking for these services. Kelly has you covered, plus listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that she's got to offer at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. Loki drops tomorrow. Loki drops tomorrow. Um, The problem with that is that we also have a puck drop tomorrow because the Islanders are still in it, so... We're not going to get to watch. We're going to have to watch it on Thursday because it's game six tomorrow. And as much as I love Disney, nothing is going to stand in my way of watching the Islanders, especially in the playoffs when we can eliminate Bruce Cassidy and the Boston Bruins. I mean, if we really wanted to, we could probably get up at three o'clock in the morning and watch it we did that with wandavision <laughs> I, on the last episode i've learned my lesson I'm i have not... to work tomorrow listen lisa denoto glasner from the castle run great friend of the show she was getting up in the middle of the night to watch it and good on her we did it once you'll say we saw the worst episode of wandavision we did but i learned my lesson no more i'm gonna get my sleep but it drops tomorrow um i am cautiously optimistic i want to be so excited i want to be so excited about this I'm excited that we finally get to see the Loki show. But the last episode of WandaVision, I kind of felt Falcon and Winter Soldier was fine. I'm waiting for something in the MCU to be the Mandalorian. And maybe that's not fair, but I'm waiting for that, oh my God, this is must-see TV. And we did have it for most of WandaVision... There was a time where I thought WandaVision would be better than The Mandalorian, but I just felt the last episode didn't pay off the way I needed it to, the way I think a lot of people felt that way. I'm waiting for the MCU's version of The Mandalorian. I want it to be Loki. I really want it to be Loki. But I will remain cautiously optimistic, even though I do want to catch me Loki charms. For that alone... I don't understand how you're not more excited about this because when they announced the Disney plus original content slate, this was a title that was released very early on. We were very excited about it. We got even more excited about it for Disney investor day. So I am shocked to hear you say that I get why you would feel that way after WandaVision. We haven't reviewed that yet. We are eventually going to do a bonus episode where we'll, get into the nitty gritty and tear it down and build it back up. Right. Um, I don't think the ending of WandaVision though was that egregious. I think what made it seem that way is because Kevin Feige came out and said, well, that wasn't the ending that you were supposed to get. Button it up. Why would you put that out there? We all know that everybody had a rough year. We all had to pivot, but we never would have known 
that that wasn't the ending that we were supposed to have. You made creative choices, so live with what is on the screen. Anyway, I digress. I have been excited for Loki since day one. I wanted to do a Thor rewatch before we got to Loki, and thanks to the Islanders, we didn't get to, but hey, I'm not complaining because God knows I didn't think we were going to make it this far. Watch what you put in the universe. (laughs) I we will, don't need anything else working against us right now. I will hold on Loki and binge on it later if the Islanders make it to the cup. I would actually, if, if that's my contribution to the universe, I, w- I would hold on Loki altogether and live without it. A title that I have been waiting for if it means the Islanders go further. But anyway, um, been excited for it. The trailers look great. The poster looks great with that little animation. I'm dying to find out more about that. But the Loki charms. If you haven't seen it yet, Google it. It's everywhere. It is a straight Lucky Charms commercial. And then Loki comes out and he hijacks the marshmallows. I don't think that that's all they're going to do. Because WandaVision was everywhere. It was all about the Easter eggs. Deadpool. Most of that is Ryan Reynolds. But I feel like if this is on par with either of those two things, I cannot wait. I said it to you yesterday. I can't wait to get duped by their marketing. I can't wait to think that I am watching one thing and then Loki takes it over. I hope they do it. I hope they plant him in more shows. I hope they plant him in the parks. I hope they do other commercials like this. I think this is going to be so much fun because there's a million which ways this could go. I think this is going to blow WandaVision out of the water. Just from the Loki charms. It could. It might. I hope so. Behind the Attraction, that is the show that is, hello, Behind the Attraction. It's produced by The Rock, but we finally have a poster and a premiere date. It's going to drop on Disney Plus on July the 16th, which is not a surprise because Jungle Cruise is opening at the end of July, so it would make sense that they're putting it out there. I'm really excited for this one because the Imagineering story was just so incredible um, that like I'm all about this stuff and actually if you guys haven't yet go and listen to our friends Brendan and Catherine over at Detour to Neverland they've been doing a storytelling series where they are kind of going behind the scenes of the attraction and and, and it's they added it to their repertoire and it's awesome their like, paddlefish episode it was so is good. one of my favorites but and like, just i learned so much that i had no idea about but i'm just saying like i eat this stuff up right and i feel like if you truly do love disney you're going to eat this stuff up. So the fact that we now have a show that's being sponsored, or not sponsored, but produced really by Disney, dropping onto Disney Plus, and the fact that The Rock is behind is exciting. But, like, I am so ready to see this. And I, I just, I hope it's half as good as the Imagineering story, because it was so good. I just hope it's half as good as what that was. I feel like this is going to be the Imagineering story meets prop culture. Because I bet there are a whole bunch of hidden gems besides the hidden Mickeys that we have no idea about that, you know, if you're online, of course, they're going to, you know, make the cues as entertaining as possible and they're going to put in as much detail as possible. But, you know, for 
for people like us that don't have kids, we'll fast pass a lot of those things. Yeah. And we, I mean, we only just saw the full queue for Avatar or for um, Flight of Passage, Flight of Passage yeah. on, our, on our last trip. We had never done it because we always fast pass Flight of Passage. And because of social distancing, you kind of walked through even faster just because it wasn't that crowded. So I wanted to spend more time and get in there and really learn and see things. So I'm really looking forward to having all of those things that sometimes you do fly past just to get on the ride broken down and explained. Mm -hmm. We do have a major, major story, two major stories that are parks related this week. Um, It was four or five days ago that we had video that was released online. Um, Somebody from somebody that was staying at the boardwalk got video of the harmonious testing. They ran the whole show, um, 20 minutes long. I didn't watch the whole thing because I don't want it to be spoiled. Now, of course, when they eventually do open it, you know, I saw that. uh, We watched on Disney Parks um, YouTube when they did the Happily Ever After and when they did Epcot Forever. I am willing to sit and do that, but until such time that they do something like that, I don't want to sit here and, like, pin my ear to the speaker of my phone and try and figure out exactly every song that's playing. But it is so exciting. It it, it feels like it's closer and it's closer and it's closer. They say by the end of the year, I'm hoping that by the time Disney 50 kicks off October 1st, that we have the show. Um, and if not October 1st, at least November fingers crossed it's it's just exciting it's exciting that it's coming and at 20 minutes long it is the longest nighttime fireworks spectacular that disney is currently offering is it though see that's why i don't want to watch because a lot could change 20 minutes could be anything it could have been two full run-throughs and we might not know this is very true but it looks like it's going to be spectacular. I mean, you can only tell so much by seeing fireworks over the tree line, but I loved Illuminations. I truly did. But I really did like Epcot Forever a lot. This, to me, without knowing anything about it, just like preview on the surface you and I have very different feelings when it comes to happily ever after versus wishes. Um, I get the feeling just based on what I heard, what I saw and what the feedback so far has been from the Disney community. I don't think harmonious is going to be quite as polarizing as happily ever after if they take the monstrosity out during the day, I think it will be far less polarizing. It's not going to happen. They're there. I'm not going to be on board with Harmonious until you can't see those things during the day. Plus, I think Epcot Forever was just perfection. I mean, are you at least excited that we got this preview video? Or are you kind of just, meh, I'll wait until I see it to get excited. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait until I see it. Well... We did see the Avengers Campus open over in Disneyland oh at DCA. Oh, my God. 
look, we stayed up late to watch it. And I said it that night, and I will say it again. Presentation-wise, I actually think this was better than the Galaxy's Edge opening. Star power-wise, I think it was on par, but I think a lot of that has to do with COVID. I mean, the there's more Avengers than there are Star Wars main characters, but... Star Wars Galaxy's Edge went for the nostalgia factor. It was very cool to see George Lucas and Mark Hamill cutting the rope. I think if Robert Downey was there, that would have put it over the top for me. But I get it. You couldn't necessarily get everyone. I just love how they incorporated Friday into showing you uh, all of the amenities. So good. It was so good. I can't wait to go to the PIM, te- what is it, the test kitchen. Um, I want that pretzel. Everybody knows I am a sucker for a pretzel. I love the Bavarian pretzel over at Epcot. Uh, This looks like it would be similar. Um, The web-slinging ride looks cool. I've heard mixed reviews. Apparently, your hands are very tired at the end of it. Um, it It gives you a workout. But... I'm excited to see it. We have roughly another year before we'll be back in California at Disneyland Resort. So we got to wait about another year to see it. Um, I'm excited to see, I'm sure, in the not-so-distant future, Lisa, Lou, Mangello. I'm sure they'll be out there. I'm sure they're going to show us a lot. I think they're going to tell us a lot. That's what I'm excited for. Um, I want to see other people go out there and I'm kind of going to live vicariously through them until we get our taste of it. Um, I, I love it. I love how they have the characters running around. I think the Dora Milaje are so cool. That was a big surprise for me. Um, the other thing that was kind of a surprise, I didn't even know they were doing Dr. Strange. And that they were giving him that whole area, but it looks like such a pretty garden. I can't wait to see that. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm also excited for the collector snacks that I wasn't expecting either. Like I had seen Pim's test kitchen. I knew we were getting that. Uh, but the collector was kind of a surprise. So I think it's going to be really cool. The only thing, and I had said this to you the other day, we are bordering, bordering on a Hollywood studios, identity crisis because California Adventure is supposed to pay tribute to the state of California. So as far as Pim's Test Kitchen, that fits in because Ant-Man takes place in San Francisco. So I buy it. But I don't know how we arrived at cramming all of these other films and that and and how they picked these for the Avengers campus. Like I get it. It's a fully immersive experience. But I've said this about Galaxy's Edge, too. If you're going for the behind the movie experience, keep it that you're going to the movie set. So other than that disconnect from California Adventure, I mean, it's it's going to be so cool. I know I'm going to set foot there and I'm going to eat my words, but I'm just wondering what this means for for bigger picture. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um but I feel like DCA has had an identity an identity crisis since DCA. You know what I mean? Like, at this point, you can also make the case that 
Disney's Hollywood Studios is Disney Hollywood Studios because that's what the name of it is. And I kind of get that DCA sort of the same thing. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but at the same time, Disney has the ability in California to put the Avengers in a park. That's why that's there. If they were able to do it in Orlando, it would have happened in Orlando, but instead they did it there. Now, do I think we're going to get an Avengers campus in Orlando once the licensing deal is expired with Universal? Yes, I do. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to make a call right now and I did this say this to you. I think when that time comes, I think we're getting Wakanda at Animal Kingdom where Dinoland USA is. That's, I think, because I think their goal ultimately is they want every property eventually to host an Avengers campus. But they announced that. And for all the hype that this is getting, nobody's talking about that. I mean, I don't know if it got canceled because of COVID or what happened, but that was always the plan. They announced that at D23. That was one of their biggest announcements was that these were all supposed to be interconnected. It was supposed to be a different story at each park, but they all tied together. Do you not remember that? I do, but I'm not understanding what your argument here is. They're co- they confirmed that they're going to do one in Florida. Right, it's I'm coming. S- if they said we're getting one, Just but they didn't say... they didn't or con- where. Right. So that's what I'm saying. They haven't said when, where, or what, but my guesstimation... You have no room in, at Magic Kingdom. You no It doesn't room. belong at Magic Kingdom. You don't have room in Epcot. You don't have room in Studios, which only leaves Animal Kingdom because you're not going to do a fifth gate. Mm, I, I mean, I love the Wakanda idea, and I think that that is a strong case. You do have room at Studios. I've said it a million times. There is too much Star Wars. Come at me. You have the launch bay. You have, and if they touch this, I will have an absolute fit. I Like, I will riot. There is the old animation building back there. I'm not suggesting that they tear it down, especially because if if California keeps going the way it does, they're going to need a place to uh, house their animators in their film department. But you have that whole area where the launch bay is, where Disney Junior is, and I believe... You could circle it all the way around to Rock and Roller Coaster, and there is another empty building that is sitting back there that they used to use for for films. Right. I don't know if it's a whole hangar, if it was more office buildings or whatever. You have the space for it. And I hate to say it, but because I love Rock and Roller Coaster, but there have been rumors about that getting rethemed for God knows how long. The Jonases. They talked about the Jonases going in there. They did. So you could tie that, you could retheme that for the Avengers, and then you've got that whole area behind it. You absolutely have the room for it. And then you've got your your fully immersive it's a fully immersive park then. It would yeah, it would make sense. It would fit the theme. But with all that being said I would love to see Wakanda, and I don't want them to just drop Wakanda into Hollywood Studios. I'd rather right. them do it hidden in Africa. Yeah, I think it would be much better in Animal Kingdom. And quite honestly, Wakanda is such a unique, beautiful setting in the MCU. The only place right now that you could do it on any Disney property is at Animal Kingdom. And that's why I kind of feel like you've got to do Wakanda at one of these parks. Whether that be here, Paris, Tokyo, 
but if you you got to do it somewhere or China, you that that just fits. It just fits at Animal Kingdom, and I think that's why it's going to go there. That's my guess. What would you retheme Dinosaurus? Um, I I would just tear it down. I wouldn't even re. I would t- I get rid of it. Woof. Okay. Because it's never going to be as good as Indiana Jones, and I don't see you being able to retrofit anything from Black Panther into it. And when I see that Robo Spider Man that they have at Avengers Campus in California. There is just so much that you can do in that space. And I think that the animatronics have come so far that you could really make a believable attraction. Something where you do feel like you're riding. We haven't been on Rise of the Resistance yet. We will go for the first time in November. And everybody's saying that is like an amazing, blow-your-mind immersive experience. I see no reason why they can't do something like that for the MCU or for Wakanda and Black Panther if that's what they decide to do at Animal Kingdom with Dino Land USA. But I think if they do that, that means leveling Dinosaur. And I don't think anybody would really be sad about it. That's my opinion. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio. You can also email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share the show and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on that social media and for links to the social media and everywhere that you can find the show, it's always online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.